Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, in the New Testament, there are a lot of different people that go by the name Herod. There's Herod the Great, who is the father of a bunch of these other Herods. And this one in particular is the grandson of Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I. And you're going to see the name Herod a few times in the book of Acts. And it's important to realize that there are several Herods mentioned. They're all related. They all came from one screwed up family. Verse 2, he killed James the brother of John, with a sword. So what's going on is there's momentum in the church, man. It's growing. Things are going full speed ahead. But there's probably a lot of Jews that were really intimidated by this or annoyed by this because they see it as a threat. And so James, the brother of John, was one of the three main apostles mentioned in the Gospels. You have James, John, and Peter. And you see these three together on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured, showing his divine glory there and freaking everybody out. Well, it was James, John, and Peter. And when they were at the house of Jairus, when Jesus raised his daughter from the dead, they were all three there as well. And in the garden, when Jesus said, if there's any way that this cup can be removed from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There they were. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, they were all three there. And so you see James and John and Peter, and Peter's brother Andrew, they were all fishermen. They were partners. So you have these two sets of brothers that worked together that knew each other very well. They had known each other for a long time. They worked together. They'd helped each other out. And so Herod kills James, and James becomes the first apostle to be martyred. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. So as the gospel is moving at a rate that it seemed unstoppable, especially in light of the way it overtook the young Pharisee named Saul, who was now preaching it, with this advance of the gospel now comes a realization that, man, these people, they're making us look bad. The Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were doing things that were godly by the Holy Spirit. This has a real negative effect on people's minds when they see people dropping their wickedness like a bad habit. You know, does this mean we're going to have to drop our wickedness too? No way, man. We're not doing that. And finally, one of these fanatics is killed. If we can't stop him, at least we can send him a message. You know, it's like a shot fired over the bow. And that's what Herod did. And he found favor with the Jews. He took out one of the leaders. It seemed like a good political move, so he went after Peter as well. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the same time. And Herod's probably thinking, hey, you know what? We killed Jesus on the Passover. Hey, let's take out Peter too on the Passover around this time. What better statement to discourage the disciples of Jesus than to take out their leaders on the anniversary of the day they took Jesus out or thought they did? Verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So he's going to present Peter to the people, and they're going to say, crucify him, just like they did Jesus, most likely. So he's got four squads of soldiers. There's a lot of guys guarding Peter. They take him in custody, hold on to him until after the feast, and then we'll do him in. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The community of believers were doing what they're supposed to do, pray fervently. You know, I wish we could gather and pray fervently like this. 
but it just seems like there's always something that comes up. Either people aren't interested or it just doesn't seem to happen. But man, what a great thing when you get believers together to pray. You get a couple of people, their hearts are right, meaning they've repented of their junk, and now they're going to seek the Lord. This is when God moves and things happen. Verse 6, Now when Herod was about to bring him up on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So Peter's on major lockdown. And Herod probably thought not even God himself could deliver Peter from this prison. Look at all my guys guarding him. We've got him chained. We've got him surrounded. No way he can escape. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hand. So Peter's asleep. Now, likely he knew that he was going to his death. He saw what happened to James, or at least knew about it, and now he knows what's going on. But in the midst of this, his final days, he's sound asleep. And the angel has to strike him on the side. Wake up. This is an example of the peace that God gives us through very difficult times. That's one part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Verse 8, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So Peter's getting dressed in the midst of all these people that are guarding him. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. So here's Peter. He walks through security with no issues, and even the doors are opening automatically. The chains are falling off, and now he's out of the prison. He's in the city now in the middle of the night. He's probably standing there going, I just broke out of prison, man. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Yep, I'm convinced he should have been, and he knows God still has work for him to do. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God can do all things. And now Peter is just reminded of that. He knew it, but he was expecting to be a martyr, most likely. And Peter knows the Psalms, I lift my eyes up to the heavens, for I know where my help comes from. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now, John Mark, we're going to read about here in a second. This is not John, the James's brother. This is another John. He goes by Mark. Where many were gathered together and were praying. Middle of the night, these people are praying. They're pulling an all-nighter, interceding for Peter. Kind of cool how that works. Verse 13, And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Verse 14, Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So Peter goes to the home where the believers are gathered, knocks on the door, it's nighttime, and likely the streets are empty. He's probably looking around over his shoulder, realizing he just did a jailbreak. He's knocking on the door, she comes up, hey, it's Peter. She goes back in the house, is like, hey, open the door. Verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they said, it's his angel. You're seeing things, Rhoda. Now quiet down. We're trying to pray here, believing God's going to do something. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. This is another James. Then he departed and went to another place. 
So he briefs him, tells him what's up, lets everybody know that he's out, and he goes somewhere else. Verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. This is a bad day at the jail. Verse 19, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down to Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He had no tolerance for incompetence. When they could not find Peter, he orders the guards to be executed. Verse 20, we're shifting gears now. Peter's out of jail. Now we're going to focus more on Herod for a couple of verses. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Israel's supplying these cities with food, and there's some kind of falling out, and they're like, hey, we need to protect our food, so let's go appease the king. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Verse 22, and the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. And now they're sucking up to Herod big time, claiming him to be a god. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod knew better than to receive this kind of worship. And we know from a Jewish historian, Josephus, who was a guy who lived during these times, he elaborates a little bit on this bizarre story. He says regarding Herod, He put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. And severe pain arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days... He departed this life. So he comes out in this royal splendor and the sun shining, reflecting off of this silver outfit that he's wearing. It's like a disco ball shining out and everyone's freaking out saying, wow, this guy looks like a god. And Herod, being accountable before God, receives that worship and or dismisses it like, okay, whatever, you know, no big deal. Rather than giving glory to God. And God says, all right, you're out, Herod. And he strikes him down. It looks like it took five days for him to die. And this eaten by worms thing. We know that Luke is a writer of the book of Acts. He's also a physician. And in his gospel, as well as the book of Acts, you see the detail which Luke writes in. He just gives a lot of detail on stuff. So he knew the cause of his death had something to do with parasites. And some of the commentators list a few different conditions that they believe this could be, but we don't know. What we do know is that he died a very excruciatingly painful death. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So God's hand delivered Peter from death and sent Herod to his for being stupid. God's all over this. He's moving. He's taking care of business. He had Peter delivered because he had work for Peter to do. Peter would go on to be martyred as well as everybody else except the Apostle John, but this was not his time. He still had a bunch of stuff that God had planned for him to do. And I think that's important to note, too, because sometimes guys go early, look at Stephen, and then James. You know, here James is an apostle, been with Jesus the whole time, doing all the stuff that Jesus said to do, and he's right in the mix here of this mighty work of God, and then he's taken out. But it was his time, and he probably is not complaining. 
He's in eternity with Jesus. And yeah, he went out what seemed to have been early, but like Stephen, went right into the hands of the Lord, was martyred for his faith, stood for Jesus to the death. That's cool. May we have that kind of strength that comes from God to be like that. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Again, this is John Mark, not John the Baptist or John the Apostle. There's other Johns too. This is the one we know as John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He now links up with Saul and Barnabas, and he's going to embark on a journey with them to see the Word of God proclaimed beyond their borders. So here they go. Everything's still full speed ahead. They have some disruption. They have some fear happening. They have some tragedy, but the Word of God is plugging away, and it's going to continue, and it still continues to this day. Thank you.